This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I feel so lucky to be able to interview so many awesome people on this podcast. And honestly, every time I hear somebody that I want to talk to, I get really giddy and excited until I get to talk to them. And that is the case also for today's guest, Dr. Jennifer Webb. I first heard her on a podcast called Body Kindness with Rebecca Scritchfield. And I was so excited to reach out to her and see if I could get to talk to her about body image in the perinatal period. I'll put a podcast link to this specific episode that I heard too in the show notes because it's just so good. Some of the things we're going to touch on today is a bit of the research that Dr. Webb does, why body image is such a key topic for women's health during the perinatal period, what different roles that mindfulness and self-compassion can play in supporting a healthier body image in the perinatal period. We're going to tack on some really amazing resources that Dr. Webb has for us. There's some stuff in this episode that I was like resonating a bit much with, and maybe someday I'll talk to you guys about my own relationship and journey with my body and body image. It absolutely played into my perinatal period and still does because it's a work in progress. I just know that this conversation is going to resonate with so many people and also give some really great helpful tips and resources. Dr. Jennifer Webb is an associate professor in the Department of Psychological Science and a core member of the Health Psychology PhD program clinical faculty at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She received her baccalaureate degree in cognitive neuroscience from Harvard University and went on to complete her PhD in clinical psychology at the University of Southern California and postdoctoral fellowship training in clinical health psychology at Duke Integrative Medicine. Dr. Webb's research program is informed by a non-dieting, weight-neutral philosophy on health promotion in culturally and body-diverse groups. A particular emphasis involves enhancing the integration, dissemination, and accessibility of evidence-based mind-body approaches to strengthen embodied self-regulation, a positive body image, and well-being among women during the developmental transitions of young adulthood, pregnancy, and the postpartum. 
Oh my gosh, she's amazing. And we're going to hear from her right now. Welcome, Dr. Webb. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, well, thank you so much. This is so awesome to have the opportunity. Yeah, I heard you on a podcast a while back, as I told you, and I've just really been so excited to talk to you about body and body image in the perineal period and really, you know, the changes that people go through and learn more about your research and understand how we can support moms better. So yeah, wherever you'd like to start with your work, that would be great. Well, again, I am so appreciative of this opportunity. And it's really interesting that, you know, your listeners will all agree that the experience of body image transcends time. But from the researcher side of things, we're sort of trying to play catch up. You know, as your listeners are aware, you know, the experience of mood, anxiety during the perinatal period understandably has gotten a lot of attention and that's so important. And so what we're learning through a lot of the sort of emerging research is that one of the factors that we might not have given as much attention to is the experience of our bodies in relation to mood and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is one of the areas that's really helped to propel it to the forefront of not only, you know, clinicians, researchers, those on the front line of working with women during the perinatal period, is that not only should we be thinking about and assessing and trying to treat the mood and anxiety, but that perhaps one of the underlooked areas that contributes to these experiences is actually how women are experiencing their bodies through this critical period of these milestones that they're going through. You know, so for example, Your listeners might find it interesting that some of the research suggests that when women are surveyed in terms of how they're feeling about their body during pregnancy and the postpartum, some of the literature suggests that, for example, in one study, at three months postpartum, if women are reporting negative body image, like feeling dissatisfied about their bodies, for example, that actually is predictive of increased depressive severity mm-hmm. later on in the postpartum. So we have wow. some of that data. But also women during pregnancy, for example, if you're measuring body dissatisfaction, that actually has been associated with incidents of depression, both during pregnancy and in the postpartum. Mm-hmm. Other effects that they're linking negative body image to are parenting stress as well as we can't leave out breastfeeding. So some of the literature is really demonstrating that how women are feeling about their bodies in the postpartum, for example, affects how efficacious they believe they are with breastfeeding, as well as it's linked to having some difficulties with disordered eating during the postpartum. So these are all things that we really need to pay attention to as it relates to sort of that combination of mood, as well as how people are specifically experiencing their bodies during this time period. Yeah, thank you for that perspective. I mean, we've been looking at things, I think, more from the kind of top down in terms of the mood being the factor that makes everything else feel worse. But this perspective is that, you know, this is integral, that body image is part of it. It's not depression first always. Not always. Right. Or anxiety first. Right. But you are highlighting that it is a complex relationship. So certainly Mm -hmm. if women are already struggling with mood and anxiety, that could make them a little bit more vulnerable to attending to their bodies in ways that, you know, contribute to more dissatisfaction. So there is Mm -hmm. a bi-directional relationship, but sometimes the starting point actually is not feeling really comfortable with those changes that are occurring. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking of so many people, um, including myself on that list of, you know, those body changes and uh, how it can impact 
how you feel. Certainly a lot of clients in my practice as well. And I wonder if it could be helpful, you know, this is sort of the academic in me, if it could be helpful to provide a little bit of an idea of what, when I say body image, what I mean by that. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Whatever context you can bring and specificity would be awesome. And the reason why I put that out there is because everybody has their own definitions of body image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I right. think sometimes, you know, the researchers and the clinicians might have a certain way of understanding. And then those that we're actually working with and trying to communicate with might have a different or sometimes related understanding. And so just to make sure that I'm closer to being on the same page as your listeners, um, from more of an academic perspective, body image is viewed as really multifaceted. Mm-hmm. So it's not only, for example, the way we think about, feel, experience, perceive our bodies, but it also can include things like paying attention to how our body functions, Mm. so how our body moves in space, how competent we believe our bodies are physicality. Mm -hmm. Also, the internal processes of the body as well are fair game in terms of how we are experiencing the functionality of our internal systems, how we are experiencing, for example, how we can better be intuitive eaters. So things like that also are related to, for example, the kind of more holistic understanding of body image. So not just what the body looks like, but sometimes also it can include how the body functions. And I would imagine that a lot of your listeners would agree that body functionality is pretty salient during this time uh, for women during pregnancy and the postpartum. And that's also what's really exciting is that that we are really trying to be, have an expanded understanding of body image. Right. I mean, there's so much focus on the body during this period of time. I mean, I don't know if it's the most of any time during the perinatal, <laughs> but I imagine it would be just because there's literally things growing, people growing inside <laughs> of you, nothing, yes. people. And, you know, there's a lot of pokes and prods and, you know, yes. tests and trying to figure out what's going on. And people might be just learning new things about their body that they never had encountered before. Exactly. And you really highlight what also contributes to the experience of body image during this time mm-hmm. are a lot of sociocultural pressures mm-hmm. and messages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can think about, gosh, there's so many sources out there, including like our friends and family, our partners, for example, they all have certain understandings of sort of what the body during pregnancy is supposed to look like. What is the body in the postpartum supposed to look like? The media obviously has a lot of influence in terms of we see celebrities like these little tiny baby bumps. We have, you know, social media of our quote unquote peers Uh (laughs) that we, you know, again, don't often remember that the the face that people are putting out there in social media, a lot of times is they're sort of best, (laughs) you know, cropped and filtered and so I think that's also such an important source that we need to consider is also the impact of social media, mm-hmm. the media, these messages about needing to bounce back mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. giving birth, which can really drive a lot of the dissatisfaction and the sort of sense of urgency that women experience, particularly those who sort of buy into a lot of these Western notions of what a pregnant body is supposed to look like, as well as what a postpartum body is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, 
why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Flusterclucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So Western notions of that are... Yeah, that there's a bump. Like, how would you, how, and then a person, right? There's so many variation in cultural, I guess, perspective and acceptance yes. around different body types, but the Western American one, how yes. would you describe that? Well, it really does. Again, you look at, you know, fit pregnancy or those other types of media out there where these Instagram images where really the portrayal is very narrow. It tends to be women who are, you know, very in terms of Eurocentric in appearance. And they also tend to sort of have this thin ideal with a small bump. And so again, it's a very constrained representation of women during pregnancy. And then in the postpartum, again, similarly, we tend to have a very narrowly defined idea that, you know, first of all, that getting your body back is supposed to be sort of the goal and that it's almost like it's been snatched and we now have to kind of wrestle it back. Mm -hmm. Again, this idea that that process is feasible, valid, and should be happening pretty quickly. So okay. I think that gives, I think, a pretty good representation of those messages during pregnancy and the postpartum, again, of what the typical sort of Western idea of what that's supposed to look like. Mm. Yeah. It just makes me wonder, well, you know, about other cultures who don't have this perspective, if, you know, body image is not such a big factor then, or if it's not one of the main contributors or a big contributor to depression or anxiety. We need more of that research. We certainly yeah. do. More cross-cultural research, mm -hmm. more research within, for example, U.S. samples that are more diverse. So again, we're, exactly. We are just like at the beginning of all this. <laughs> Even though women have been living this for a while, sure. the researchers are trying to catch up to get all these nuances a little bit more clear.
Oh, sure. Right. So most of the research is then not based on a diverse sample. No, Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So we sort of have made some gains in just even giving credibility to start looking at body image during pregnancy and the postpartum in the last decade or so. So now efforts are trying to focus on broadening our understanding of who's included in the samples, having more qualitative research. So we really get more in depth in the experiences of women. And then that will, you know, help inform again, more of the intervention work down the line as well. Oh, sure. Absolutely. What have you seen in terms of research for obsessiveness around body image and how, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can include anxiety in that, but sure. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that if you see that in your research? Sure. So one of the other factors that I wanted to briefly mention that also contributes to these experiences that women have during the perinatal period is also coming from well-meaning healthcare providers. Mm. So now there's a lot of emphasis in the last 10 years. You know, the Institute of Medicine has you know, outlined certain gestational weight gain categories right. and mm-hmm. suggested weight gain. And then there's a lot of emphasis on trying to reduce postpartum weight retention you know, for various health outcomes in the future. But the reason why I say this is that part of the risk for the having more of an obsessive kind of experience of the body during this period is in part, not only in terms of maybe some women are coming in more vulnerable, that this is like the vigilance is something Mm -hmm. that is not new to them, but that, for example, if you're getting a message from your healthcare provider that, oh, you know, you need to gain weight within this particular range, or, you know, after you have your baby, then it's like, okay, well, now you have to focus on weight loss so that you don't have risk for type 2 diabetes. Mm. That, that's another factor that can contribute to more of the surveillance mm-hmm. of the body, of eating, of physical activity, of, you know, maybe being overly preoccupied mm-hmm. with what the body looks like during this time period, which again, if you're focusing so much on that, you're probably not paying attention to other things that could matter as well (laughs) Mm -hmm. during this time period. So some of the research does suggest that this idea of body surveillance, so being really preoccupied with your physical appearance, as opposed to how your body feels, tends to be associated with increased depressive symptoms among first-time moms. There's been at least one study that's demonstrated that. Hmm. And I think that that's also really important for us to think about because that also relates in the postpartum to disordered eating. So this notion of body surveillance is definitely one that we need to figure out in addition to you know, healthcare providers, well-meaning messages, other sociocultural messages, you know, how women and their families can be better armed to try to, you know, derail some of the negative impact of this surveillance, this sort of obsessiveness that could come along with this experience of pregnancy and the postpartum. As you were talking about that, I'm, you know, as a psychologist in clinical practice, meeting Mm. with people, I'm interpreting and kind of thinking how I could better integrate assessing for this or are, you know, asking my clients about it. And it seems pretty important then to be asking about their experience with their care providers and how their Hmm. care providers talk to them about their bodies and how that impacts them. Because those are, you know, 10 minute interactions with a provider sometimes (laughs) that could potentially be impacting them for weeks or months. Oh, you're not kidding. And again, we don't always have the benefit of, you know, also getting the provider's perspective. (laughs) So it's sort sort of like, there's probably gaps, even Mm -hmm. in their awareness, maybe, and in their training, 
So we try to have compassion for that, but also, wow, what an opportunity to maybe help in terms of educating Mm -hmm. because of the framing of this obesity epidemic, there's so much attention to weight that there may be sort of unintentional negative consequences just in terms of women might not be feeling that other concerns that they have may not be given that attention because so much is given to weight and weight gain. And also, isn't there an association with if you're quote unquote overweight or obese based on, I guess, this BMI scale that I think is kind of bunk, um, (laughs) not, not totally accurate, that if you are overweight, that also means you're unhealthy. That's the kind of association that's been made that's not true. Oh, goodness. This is such a loaded topic, but so Uh important. From a health at every size perspective, Mm -hmm. really, the focus tends to be in more of the traditional biomedical realm that yes, weight equals health. And Mm -hmm. that has been ingrained in so many of us, not only within medical culture, public health culture, but Mm -hmm. in popular culture. Mm -hmm. And more from a health at every size perspective, there's more of a weight neutral understanding that Mm -hmm. you can't look at someone and just say, oh, I know, you know, what their HbA1c is or what their (laughs) cholesterol is. We focus literally on weight by being able to eyeball it. It's like, oh, of course we know that, you know, how many stairs this person can walk up and down. So again, we're trying to understand that health itself has gotten sort of contaminated with Mm. it being just so narrowly linked to weight. And that is really dangerous. It's really dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that might be like a whole other (laughs) separate entire podcast. And I think there are, I think there are some really great people out there, like the podcast that I heard you on, um, Body Kindness is a really beautiful one. Mm -hmm. You know, really trying to get that message out there and unbraiding the idea that health and weight are you know, the same. Exactly. And I think this really does tie into the experience of negative body image that perhaps some of your higher weight listeners might experience at the hands, not only of the broader cultural messages, but also possibly from the healthcare providers. Again, not necessarily that they're trying to intentionally Mm -hmm. discriminate or to send Mm -hmm. stigmatizing messages, but that could be present and operative for them, which is really undermining their Mm -hmm. well-being during this time. Right. Okay. So operationalizing that, so to speak, within the context of the client therapist or even client physician relationship is, you know, how do we help our clients and patients cope with that kind of begins with this, like you were saying, health at every size conversation. Hmm. That That could be part of it, particularly if that is sort of a newer idea. It's definitely growing, not only in terms of grassroots, just activism, but now there's a growing body of of research, which is really supporting that this weight neutral approach, non-dieting weight neutral approach really does lead to a lot of psychological and physiological health benefits that don't necessarily have anything to do with how much weight somebody is losing. Mm -hmm. So that again, that's exciting. We all want to do the right thing to keep our bodies healthy in the long run. Enter Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Two easy-to-take capsules provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. 
I like to take it because it has everything I need. I don't need to take 15 different things to get all of those essentials. Ritual Essential for Women is the multivitamin reimagined. From D3 to omega-3, Ritual's Essential for Women helps fill gaps in a woman's diet. No nausea capsule design is gentle on an empty stomach, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh, so you don't get that fishy aftertaste common with most omega-3s. There's also the Ritual Essential Prenatal, which is the prenatal reborn. For those of you thinking about it, trying and expecting Ritual Essential Prenatal is conceived to deliver the essential nutrients from DHA to folate that a woman needs at every stage. Better health doesn't just happen overnight, and right now Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash momandmind to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash momandmind. Yeah, it is. And also, you know, we're all swimming upstream, so to speak, because we're fighting against the current of the get your body back, bounce back, Instagram, all that stuff you were saying. (laughs) Yes. Um, The constant messaging, you know, about how to be fit and be a fit mom. And that comes with a certain image, the image of someone who has a healthier weight and is also fit isn't out there that much. That's right. There are some people really working hard at it, but it is a massive undertaking to overturn this concept. And that really does tie into, you know, how your listeners might benefit from, you know, being honest about their consumption of some of the media, you know, Mm -hmm. just in terms of, because it's so accessible Mm -hmm. and we are constantly inundated with these images, you know, how aware, how mindful are we of what we're actually viewing? And noticing that there might be a relationship between how much time we're spending, you know, viewing some of these images and how we are feeling about our bodies. So that could be one avenue to consider whether or not maybe that needs to maybe be cut back a little bit or trying to find alternative role models during this time. So Mm -hmm. there's still using the same media, but -hmm. perhaps those, I mean, one that comes to mind is Serena Williams, for example. Mm -hmm. It's been so amazing about her journey, you know, throughout the process and also in the postpartum with her struggles and challenges. And so, you know, trying to find those role models who are portraying these experiences in a more authentic and realistic way and not just trying to sugarcoat things or to present things in a really narrow way. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, like you're saying, if you're watching or looking at social media that is just showing this sort of bounced back bodies, Mm. then you're going to feel worse about yourself. Yes. Um, I think anyone could raise their hand and say, yeah, that happens to me. Exactly. Even with people who would be seen as having a healthy well, I don't even know what the correct or most beneficial terms are, but like healthy body image or, hmm. um, or healthy bodies. If I think even people who externally we would view as having looking healthy in this idea that we have about what a healthy body looks like, those folks are also potentially struggling with their yes. body image. Yes. Yeah. And so I appreciate because this idea of healthy, you know, Mm -hmm. is one that's so loaded because we have all these, again, different sources, which are trying to tell us how to define that. Mm -hmm. And I can speak from sort of the academic side, again, from Mm -hmm. how body image researchers tend to define what's called positive body image. So one of the ways that a positive body image has really been understood is it includes sort of focusing on appreciating and accepting the body as it is, 
So flaws and all, perceived flaws and all too, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times we're our own worst critic. Mm. Also, it includes respecting the body through actively engaging in self-care behaviors Mm. and also protecting the body from the harms of, again, of those negative messages that Mm -hmm. could be coming from multiple sources. Mm. So even in that definition of positive body image, it does also fold in how we need to pay attention to those messages that could kind of infiltrate (laughs) and really disrupt that experience. But that it's not kind of a Pollyanna-ish view that, you know, once you have positive body image, like it's like this fixed thing Mm -hmm. that you'll never feel bad about your body again. Mm -hmm. No. So I think that's the other viewpoint is we want to have more flexibility about our experience of the body, that there will be times we'll feel better, sometimes we'll feel worse, but it's sort of like, how do you actually manage when you're feeling worse so that you don't stay feeling like that longer than you need to. Hmm. Yes. How do you do that? (laughs) How do you do that? Um, What have you seen that helps? So you mentioned acceptance. Yeah. Which is hard for a lot of people. Well, particularly that is so true, particularly when we think about acceptance in this kind of like surrendering resignation. Like I'm Mm -hmm. like white knuckling it, like I'm through clenched teeth. Yeah. Right. So that kind of acceptance is probably more what we might think of in terms of accepting the body, but from the perspective Mm -hmm. of maybe more mindfulness Mm -hmm. and self-compassion perspectives Mm -hmm. on acceptance, it's more about just being aware of what is that it's maybe not what you want it to be, Mm -hmm. but that In addition to that evaluation, we're often saying we don't want to have those thoughts, those feelings. So what these approaches tend to try to focus more on is not only making peace with those negative thoughts or evaluations, those feelings, emotions we have about our body, but we also sometimes don't want to even have those experiences. Mm -hmm. And that, that puts a lot of pressure on trying to get rid of those thoughts, of those emotions, of those physical sensations. And that helps to actually keep those experiences around longer than they need to. Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah, it's almost like a resentment uh, that you have to deal with this in the first place. Yes. Yeah. And so the acceptance is like, oh, okay. I am having the thought that I don't like these stretch marks. Okay. And just kind of sitting with that Mm -hmm. as opposed to, okay, I'm having the thought, I don't like these stretch marks and I don't like having the thought that I don't like the stretch mark. So it's sort of like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you get wrapped up in it and understandably so, because that's how our minds tend to be wired. So a lot of these practices that come out of more Buddhist traditions really are trying to take a step back have more of an observer stance Mm -hmm. on our experience. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we like what's going on, but we realize it's happening. Okay. It's present right now. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Here we here exactly. Here we are. Yeah, I can really hear that and I see that a lot and also absolutely mm-hmm. personally experience that resentment. You know, and it, to your point, it seems to be that this is going to be an ongoing practice in self Exactly. Like you're going to have multiple times where your body goes through changes, not only mm-hmm. you know, certainly pregnancy or postpartum or loss, perinatal loss and, you know, mm breastfeeding and then, or not, and then weaning not, and then getting your period back or not, and, you know, menopause. And there's so many different life changes that also bring about body changes that this skill will be useful for. 
Indeed. And what's really exciting is Dr. Lisa Rubin has done some work with women during pregnancy and has demonstrated that when women report expressing greater appreciation and awareness of their body's functionality during this time, it tends to be associated with lower depression, Mm. as well as less participation in unhealthy prenatal behaviors. And so this means, you know, women who might be, you know, reporting not getting sufficient sleep, maybe Mm -hmm. their eating habits are Mm -hmm. poor. Mm -hmm. They're also perhaps not able to prioritize exercise and Mm -hmm. vitamin intake. So the flip side of that is, again, so women who are actually paying more attention to and are appreciating those experiences of the body, even if they could be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. that these tend to be also associated with some of those other behaviors that we talked about, kind of self-care behaviors that support mm-hmm. more of a positive body image during this time. But that like we're trying to really have folks think about is that this is almost a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So this is not something that, oh, okay, well, it's just during this period of time I need to do this. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is more of a commitment. And what's exciting is that the research is showing that mindfulness, self compassion, other mind-body practices like yoga have certainly made a lot of inroads in supporting positive body image. And now we're trying to learn a little bit more about the application of these approaches specifically during pregnancy and the postpartum. So that's where there's a little bit less of specific data. Mm-hmm. But if we already have data suggesting that these practices are helpful for women outside of the perinatal period, and we have some suggestions that these approaches have been very useful for women during the perinatal period in dealing with depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. now we're trying to put it all together. So let's look at these approaches for not only working with mood and anxiety, but also the body image piece. And so that's where some of our lab's research will actually be heading in in the near future. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you're doing such amazing work. Um, can I pause here for a second? Um, oh, and, please. and, um, do you, in terms of the work that you are doing, um, are there specific studies or is there anything that you wouldn't want people to know about that's going on right now or like more of what's coming up? Oh, sure. So one of the studies that was very preliminary that was also in collaboration with with Rebecca Scritchfield, we had a sample of about 77 women. And this included women along the trajectory of during pregnancy, early postpartum, and having children under the age of five. So Mm -hmm. that was like a combined sample. Mm -hmm. And we gave them measures of depression, body image, as well as mindful Mm self-care. And in this, again, very preliminary study, we were able to show that negative body image helped to explain why higher depression was associated with lower mindful self-care in that combined sample. So that's one of the studies that was really nice to kind of, you know, help us to kind of get a foothold in this. And then what we're doing right now is I'm in the process of writing a grant to NIH that hopefully will support adapting Rebecca's body kindness approach specifically for women during the postpartum. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. 
So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it takes Did a Did you village. hear that, NIH? Get on that. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. That, that would be amazing. Yeah. Anyone who knows anyone in NIH, get this pushed through. <laughs> this is phenomenal work and absolutely necessary. Yes, um, it really is. It really is. Ah, wow. That's really exciting to hear. And I love that you're doing this work because like you said, there are bits and pieces of information out there that it's just pulling it all together now. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. So would you feel comfortable to talk about any other ways that we can support people who are either openly struggling with body image mm. or struggling silently? I'm thinking specifically as mental health clinicians, what can we do to help them along? And are there times when would we know that we should refer to a specialist, like an eating disorder specialist or somebody who has really particular training in body image support? Okay. Those are excellent questions. I asked a lot of questions right there. Sorry. That's great. Well, one of the areas that our lab and others have really been trying to get a handle on is this idea that intervention work can be particularly useful if we can collaborate with individuals who are suffering through ways that might expand their opportunities to access the intervention. Although I I think very highly of, and there's so many benefits to our traditional model of uh, face-to-face care. We're also recognizing that an emerging model called guided self-help is also an up-and-coming way of trying to disseminate evidence-based interventions Mm -hmm. for a variety of concerns. And so what our lab is trying to look at, as well as some others, is using this approach as a way to help women access certain evidence-based approaches for managing body image, as well as eating concerns during the perinatal period. And, you know, at this stage, I could make some suggestions about certain self-help books Mm -hmm. that could be helpful for women to perhaps look at and, you know, consult with their healthcare provider, their therapist, if that could be useful as a basis of their work together. One of them is, for example, Rebecca Scritchfield's Body Kindness Approach, very holistic evidence-based approach that really looks at this idea of challenging, again, the diet culture, the kind of the dieting mentality, and trying to focus much more on well-being, 
focusing on positive psychology and how positive psychology tends to not be as strongly emphasized in more traditional focus on pathology, which again, we need to focus on that, but it's also helpful to kind of complement just like in the body image realm, negative body image has been around in terms of, you know, the experience and also the science of it for a long time. Right. And so positive body image has really tried to just say, hey, don't forget about us. Don't forget about this side of the experience mm -hmm. to have a more holistic understanding of body image. So Rebecca Scritchfield's work, I think can be helpful. Dr. Marjit Berman, also has a self-help book called Accept Yourself. And what's really neat is that this approach not only combines sort of a health at every size perspective, but it also combines what you and your listeners might be familiar with, acceptance and commitment therapy, mm -hmm. um, to really trying to unhook the power of negative beliefs, attitudes, experiences of the body from still doing things that matter to us, living a life that matters. So I really appreciate her workbook. And then there's a few other focused specifically more on mindfulness in the context of being a mom. You might be familiar with Shonda Morales' Breathe Mama Breathe. Mm -hmm. A lot of really nice brief mindfulness practices for busy moms and moms-to-be. Mindful Motherhood by Dr. Cassandra Vietin. This is a program that was modeled originally after sort of the mindfulness-based stress reduction sort of approach, mm -hmm. but trying to really tailor it to the experiences of women during pregnancy and the early postpartum. Fantastic. That's an, another book. And then what's hot off the press, researchers and experts in perinatal mental health, doctors Sonia Demigian and Cheryl Goodman recently came out with a workbook called Expecting Mindfully. And so that is specifically targeting the experiences of mood and anxiety during this time. And then lastly, there's a really exciting collaboration of experts who are body image researchers in Australia, and they developed an organization called Body Confident Mums. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have a lot of great resources, both in terms of research, as well as more community-based resources for women who might be interested in accessing that. Awesome. Um, but I do believe that this idea of how much are we able to figure out what's feasible in our practice mm -hmm. in terms of if you're already feeling like, oh gosh, I have to do all this assessments. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about, you know, those, for example, in the traditional medical care, like nurses, as well as primary care physicians, and we have therapists, mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. So this trying to balance, okay, is this one more thing right. that we need to consider holistically. Mm -hmm. And it could be beneficial to try to integrate sort of brief assessments mm -hmm. that then could give you an idea of really how dominating is the experience of negative body image and, and maybe difficulties with regulating eating or maybe overly restricting eating during this time period to help inform whether or not it makes sense to also collaborate with a specialist. But hopefully, you know, that is sort of the area is trying to figure out, okay, what does my assessment already look like? Can we add in a few items mm -hmm. that could be worthwhile to figure out, okay, you know, kind of that decision tree. Okay, maybe this is something we can sort of integrate within our treatment plan and something else we might need to collaborate on. Mm -hmm. But I think that's an excellent, those are excellent questions. Right. And I think from what you were saying before, with the direction of where body positivity and body image is going to try and collaborate with people who understand the health at every size model. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Weight neutral approaches, health mm -hmm. at every size, non-dieting, mm -hmm. uh, more and more therapists, behavioral health specialists, nutritionists, mm -hmm. uh, really integrating that within their practice. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
Oh, wow. Well, Dr. Webb, it has been a fantastic discussion with you. Your depth of knowledge is so readily apparent and your passion for this topic as well. I'm sure I could listen to you for a very long time, (laughs) talk about all of these amazing things. I'm so grateful that you took the time out of your busy schedule to help us here today. Oh, no, this is my pleasure and privilege to be able to talk with you and to share these ideas. And again, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Okay, deep breath, everybody. Who resonated with that? I know I did. There's a lot of good stuff in this episode. I just love her philosophy, the work she's doing, and the clarity that she brings to how we can work through this, just as moms. So many great resources that she gave us at the end there, and I will put those in the show notes for you guys. The more information we have, the more support we have, the better off we'll be. Certainly, if you resonate with this and you might know somebody else who resonates with this episode, please share this far and wide. This is so important. We have to make sure that all moms know that they're not alone and they have access to amazing resources like all the ones that Dr. Webb gave us. If this is your first time with us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe and share with as many people as you can and want to. We would love to have your support in that way. And I'm really excited. Next week is the three-year anniversary of the Mom and Mind podcast. Yay, us, we made it. <laughs> and we're gonna keep going. So we'll bring some lovely things for you next week in social media. And our first episode of our third year is gonna be with Dr. Shoshana Bennett, who was the first guest on the Mom and Mind podcast ever. So I'm really excited to bring in the third year with her. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks with that episode. So glad you could be with us. That's all for today. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.